Skunk it. to like go for a long 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 shower every time anybody reminds him that the joker movie has anything to do with batman yeah it feels like an odd choice for him doesn't it yeah given what he's kind of been involved with in the past the kind of caliber he is has he what is his yeah what is his his mainstream thing yeah what's what's his recent popcorn flick he's done you know, apparently he was going to be cast as Doctor Strange. Yeah, I saw yeah. that. But to be honest, I reckon he probably wasn't because he didn't... Like, you can't imagine him committing to all of those films, can you? No. You can't no imagine fucking that. Way. There's no way. <laughs> no. How would he go do The Master 2, where he's even more, like, fucking <laughs> scraggly and weird? <laughs> um, you can't... You just can't... Like, Benedict Cumberbatch, he's like... you can. Ha- he can have a swashbuckling and good time with Avengers and... <laughs> swashbuckling? <laughs> <laughs> that's a great term it's not for... the pirates of the caribbean um the no, caribbean pirates um but like yeah you can't imagine him doing a doctor strange at avengers and stuff like that can you imagine him uh him having to deal with creative decisions on doctor strange 2 and the director going no we have to do it this way because it ties into one division on the disney plus <laughs> and he's like no that's not Oh, man yeah um which i do appreciate that in his career that he does seem to he, he obviously does his own way but um i don't know what his recent popcorn have you got have you no got there's nothing nothing like the most recently the most recent thing i've seen him in he was in the sisters brothers which mm. is the western that he's in with uh, uh but that even that that's that's not i wouldn't call a popcorn flick no that's what i'm saying it's yeah. not like i'm just talking through like his what? recent stuff that i've seen so it, would it really go as far back as gladiator i'd reckon gladiator is definitely a popcorn flick that he's kind of in. Yeah, the his most recent stuff that I've seen, he was in um, Lynn Ramsey's. Yeah, uh, you were never really here. Yeah, you were never which really is here. stunning. But it's like you said, like the 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 three films I'm going to mention, I feel like are as far away from the Joker you can get. <laughs> because he was in that. He was in Gus Van Sant's. Um, don't worry, he won't get far on foot. Hmm. Which I saw and didn't didn't enjoy. Okay, but it's one of those ones where. You know when you, you, you've seen a movie recently and you didn't like it, but you can't remember why because you remember nothing about the film. <laughs> that's what like that's probably don't a worry he won't get itself, far right? Yeah. yeah, it's like I just there. I feel like it comes up every now and again. There'll be something like that, and you're like you're like yeah, I have seen it. That's also a belter of a title. What? Oh, don't, don't worry, you won't get far on foot. It is a very good title. That's the most memorable. Yeah, thing. that's a great title. Um, and then the Sisters Brothers, which um, was Jacques. Aud- Odlaird? Aud- uh, we learned last week that I'm bad at pronouncing things. Remember when I tried to pronounce Lobe as like Lieb? <laughs> <laughs> I'm dyslexic. What did this... So I do empathize with that. What did this guy direct again? Oh. He did Rust and Bone. The film with. Uh... Oh, she's an exception. Marion Cotillard, uh, where the guy gets hurt by a whale, or she gets hurt by a whale. Oh, okay. That premise sounds mental. She works at SeaWorld and she gets hit by a whale and it like breaks her legs. And it's like, oh, how do you go on living life when a whale breaks both of your legs? <laughs> I feel like no one would believe that story. <laughs> well, if you work at SeaWorld, it'd be different if you worked in like um, Asda. You know, yeah. Like I was it's so weird. I had my shift in Asda the other day and a whale came up both my legs. Do you think like 
like what what, uh, what are your preemptive thoughts on joker i think it'll be fine i just it's it is the sort of like it is a sort of like a what are we all doing here because mm. obviously it's trying it wants to you to know it's the dc joker but without batman what really is the mm. joker he's just an insane clown we just saw an insane well i didn't personally read but there was an insane clown <laughs> film just the yeah, other but that's day. different he's like an alien this is just a man he could be an alien painted as a clown my big worry with it is like because people keep heralding it as like it's not like any other it's not like any other superhero movie it's so different hmm. it's it's more like taxi driver and i'm like okay that's interesting but then like why like i'm almost worried that we're now not not going to be able to tell stories unless there's some kind of superhero thing attached to it yeah it's like we want to tell the story about a man who is driven insane by society and they're like yeah we could do that make it a joker film yeah because that'll bring people in like if you if this film was just if you took if you if it was the same trailer but you removed the joker element of it no one would give a fuck yeah not really about it and i'm kind of worried that we're gonna get to a point where it's like you can't make anything without there being some kind of tie to anything which i know is kind of the case right now but i feel like i'm worried that this will push things into the extreme Hmm. a walking phoenix will have none of it He's gonna walk us right in there. He's gonna walk in right. <laughs> well, he he allegedly was not happy with the fact that Thomas Wayne is in the is in the film. Really? Yeah. Oh. Because I, I just, oh is he biting back? Is he is he? He's, he's, I don't think in the sense he's that, kicking up a fuss. All the people at DC are like, son of a bitch. But I knew we made a mistake hiring it like the savant actor. <laughs> but like I don't, I don't think he's necessarily flipping tables over it or anything. But mm. I think he is like. He I, he does seem to just like want to distance it from Batman, and everybody who always asks is like, "Oh, maybe it'll get integrated with the Robert Pattinson Batman." And it's they're like, like it's just "Adamant, like, it's not. It's not. It's even absolutely so, not. Don't like the time periods line up. Like, isn't the, the next pa- one going to be set in the like, a time Pattinson that would make sense? Supposed to be set in the nineties, and the Joker is set in the eighties. And like Robert Pattinson's like a young dude. Yeah. So if young Bruce Wayne is in this movie. You could still a little bit of a stretch, yeah. But you could still be like, it's fifteen years later. Here's Robert Pattinson as the joke. Maybe not. Maybe that's too much of a stretch. It's not. It's not outlandish. I mean, remember the X Men timeline? They went uh, the <laughs> I think about it all the time. <laughs> but first class for second. How about it's what I set my watch to. <laughs> You must be late all of the time. Yeah, <laughs> first class was set in the '60s, and like the recent one was it set in the '90s? Finally, yeah, isn't it like within seven years of the most recent one, they have to look like <laughs> Patrick Stewart <laughs> and um, Ian? Why have I forgotten his name? McKellen. Ian McKellen. I had Ian McShane <laughs> and Ian Malcolm. <laughs> Those are the two names that came to my head. Ian McShane, the actor. Ian Malcolm, the Jurassic Park character. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> they have to look like Jeff Goldblum. That's like yeah, that's the end goal. But then I appreciated the fact that those films weren't too worried about their timeline. I pre- like that's at least one thing. Yeah, I'm more into like just make the one. Just yeah. Make the good well, movie. I mean, Logan used that to advantage. Yeah. It was like it, the timeline doesn't make sense, but you're like, hey, just don't worry about it. Here's a good film, which is kind of I guess what they're trying to do with Joker. Hmm. But then doesn't this also? And I've not read a lot of Batman stuff, but doesn't this also doesn't this film just go against what the Joker is meant to be about? 
Well, like, because you're not kind of supposed to know where he's come from. Well, there's yeah. two things. Well, because I know that there's the whole thing of the killing joke, but then I always kind of got the vibe that like even that was just a potential story. Like I it think, wasn't the story. I of think how the he quote became... is. Uh, your origin the thing he likes about an origin story is it can be multiple choice yeah so even it within the the pages of the killing joke he's like implying that it that might not be true he might be making it up but also not only is it like you don't not supposed to know his origin but usually they try and tie it with batman like batman caused the joker even in the dark knight even though he didn't create the joker the reason the Joker is allowed to come out and people, the mob take him on is because they're desperate after Batman's action. Yeah. So they're supposed to be sort of... There's the, 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 the Kind of the most interesting thing about the Joker is his relationship with Batman. Uh-huh. That's what makes him a fascinating character. That he can be this insane, over-the-top, explosion-killing, murderous, and just all-out terrible guy. And then how far is Batman going to go? That was the whole Dark Knight. That was what made him interesting. And then without it, without Batman, like the first time I saw the Joker in the trailer, the actual mm. full-on Joker, you are like, yeah, but what's he doing? What's yeah. he going off to do? He, I mean, from what I could get from the trailer, it just looks like he he has a bit of a scuffle on a on a on a train. <laughs> like every there's so many like because there's two scenes of the trailer. There's a scene where he like gets beat up on the train, and then later on he seems to be causing some kind of commotion on the train. And I'm like, are you taking revenge on the train? The train didn't beat you up. You were just on the train. <laughs> what's what's like? What's the climax of the Joker film? Like, what 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 is the? Because obviously, so- society. <laughs> the Joker is an origin film. So the idea is, by the end of the film, the Joker becomes the Joker fully. Mm. But then, what does he go off to do? I don't like it. I don't know. I guess you're supposed to imply that he goes off to meet Batman at some point. But like that's just you know we we don't see it we won't see that. Who's playing bit. Thomas Wayne? Did they get Jeffrey Dean Morgan back or? I think they were, originally it was supposed to be Alec Baldwin. Okay. Because they wanted. He doesn't look anything like Jeffrey Dean Morgan. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's it's not connected. <laughs> don't make Walking Phoenix walk out. Of yeah. Don't... <laughs> He's like, I want edited out. <laughs> Um, I reckon he that's what he'd do every time like somebody he's like doing interviews for the joke yeah yeah it's like, I really had to get into the role I really I took some inspiration for some of the previous actors so when does he beat Batman I'm out can you imagine him like yeah you know they say like you go into interviews and they'll be like okay like just a couple of things like you can't mention this this or this like imagine going to an interview with Wacky Fate it's like okay you're going to go interview him about the Joker um do not bring en- up anything about Batman <laughs> or any comic books in general it's like oh well, what can we talk about anything you want just really best to steer clear of any source material that might be related to this movie. <laughs> they probably have to scout out the hotel. He's like, has anybody got any comic books in here? Let's just chuck them right out the window. We don't want him to see it. We don't want him to be triggered. Yeah. I'll tell you what, though. Segway. Go. Speaking of that that kind of, you know, that we're going to get to a point where everything's based on something and you can't tell a story without it being kind of drawn from mm. something. The movie we've watched tonight and we're going to talk about, that is the most, like, letting someone do what they want to do. One of the best examples I think I've ever seen. Yeah. Genuinely. Um, we just watched... Uh, also, the podcast's getting off to a weird start this season. Right. Because last episode, we were going to watch Climax. Yeah. And then we decided against it. Mm. At the last minute, and we watched Collateral Beauty instead. Tonight, we were going to watch Terry Gilliam's the man who killed Don Quixote, which the film he's been trying to make since like 1987 or something like that. It's been through development hell. Um, 
And at the very last second, we realised we weren't going to be able to watch that, and so we had to change it at the very last second. And I'm like, is this going to be a theme of this podcast of the podcast for this season? We've I got think- an idea in mind, and then out of left field, we've got to change it. I think thematically, it's connected to the idea of our expectations of what climax is going to be. Yeah. <laughs> so we need to let go of our expectations, just like every week we have an expectation of what film we're going to do. And then we don't do it. We've got. I feel like we've got a lot of themes this season. Yeah, this got, is our most theme-heavy season. We've got. Then <laughs> it's dense. not many of us <laughs> had any relationship. To like, you know, most of our shows, most of our seasons have been monster of the week, but this is like that season of Doctor Who where like he gets killed by the astronaut, and that's like an overarching thing. This is that. Yeah. This is that season of our podcast. I was a big fan of that season. I love that season. So yeah, we're on two different. Because I always thought it was it's way like the too... one season of Doctor Who that I genuinely yeah. Really liked. I always thought it was way too convoluted. Although, yeah, there's I think there's some bits that I liked, but okay. There's so many people who, like, one of my favorite episodes of that show is the man. Oh, what is no? Is what let's let's kill Hitler? I was about to call it the man who killed Hitler. Um, <laughs> like let's kill Hitler. Hitler, and I think that's a great episode. And most people I speak to hate that and think it's one of the worst ones because it's got nothing to do with any of that stuff. Hmm. Like anything to do with killing Hitler, really. But I love that episode because it is like, it it's one of the first Doctor Who episodes that I feel like really, and again, this is just from the Matt Smith stuff, I didn't really watch that much Doctor Who, but really feels like it's, the bigger story is what's important. Hmm. Because that is like dealing with a lot of stuff to do with the overarching plot of that season. And I kind of love that episode. And I go back and watch it whenever I watch Doctor Who, which is not a lot. I like the Matt Smith era. That I was like the only one I watched. Like, because I've seen some of the David Tennant stuff. I've seen like I watched all of Christopher Eccleston. I watched all of David Tennant, uh, and I, I watched, I watched it all up until Peter Capaldi. That was mm. when I stopped. I, I wasn't I any, anything to do with him. I but... think I thought Peter in my head. I was like, he's just going to be like Malcolm Tucker. Yeah, it's just going to be Malcolm Tucker as the Doctor. And then you watch the first episode, and you're like, yeah, of course it's not that. <laughs> That'd be insane. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> and then I just was like, I don't really like. Remember this. that first episode with him was directed by Ben Wheatley? Ben Wheatley, it certainly was. That's a very bizarre choice, isn't it? It certainly was. Apparently he's doing Tomb Raider 2. <laughs> Tomb Raider? I saw that. Yeah, it's a that's weird the one. Most re- that's like when David Fincher said he was going to do World War Z 2. <laughs> yeah. You're like, why? <laughs> I don't really... Yeah, because I'm like, B- Benjamin, you... <laughs> People have been throwing money at you to fucking make whatever you want, like... It, yeah, it's like Tomb Raider two. Is that is that the that's well you the want to hill. go to? That's the story you want to tell. Like, that's the hill you want to die on. It's a bizarre choice, but then he might do something really good with it. I mean, I I assume it's going to be some sort of like like quite standalone. I don't think he's like looking to to continue the plot threads from the. But first then, if one. it's anything to go, even if you just go kind of the style of the first one, it's so bland and mm. nothing. It's like it might be like a. Why would you hire him to do that? It might be like a Suicide Squad two, where it's like. Oh, they're just changing it up. Yeah, just changing it up and being like. But then why? Oh. Because Tomb Raider made a lot of money, and generally, I think people liked it. Uh, did you see it? Yeah, I didn't like uh, it because I just thought it was right. nothing. I yeah, just it, it, completely it, it, not. If they had went, if they had done, we we have bounced around a fucking <laughs> lot this first episode this episode uh, lower your expectations yeah no we're gonna have to let go, go of this and like trim some of this shit um, like uh, if they had went if they had kept it more in tune with like the rebooted game hmm. that and made it more kind of violent and made her a bit more like kind of a desperate character desperate is the word I would the, use yeah but in, instead they just go for this very clean like 
and she's very capable hmm. and it's all just a bit it's just boring it's I know. like why am I what there's like a hundred other action movies I could be watching right now like why are we watching this I definitely thought that uh, desperate is the word I thought when I watched the Tomb Raider film because mm. I really like obviously like the rebooted games and I was like he, she's so desperate in mm. those games she's like there's this feeling of barely holding on barely keeping her shit together every time you die it's like the most horrific yeah. like death oh, animation and I die a seen. lot because I'm terrible at video games yeah. and also I'm a bit sadistic <laughs> you just want to see <laughs> see what happens um, that was a waterfall what if yeah. I just what if I throw her off that what kind of animation am I going to get that? <laughs> oh <laughs> Ooh, that was intense nightmare Ooh. Um, yeah that, let's see what he does See, I'm sure Doctor Who's doing fine and I'm sure Suicide Squad will be fine I'm sure Walking Phoenix will be fine anyway oh yeah that's how we started <laughs> isn't it? I feel like we have to go back through the conversation to like sum up so like what would we do so it's like oh I'm sure he'll do a good Tomb Raider um, <laughs> you know what like I, I liked Doctor Who season 6 so like fuck everyone uh, where, how did we get onto that one uh, the man who killed Don Quixote we haven't watched it <laughs> we were gonna we didn't get to and then what, how did we start a Joker I'm sure it'll be fine or terrible that's how I go into all those movies like mm. assuming it'll be fine or terrible and then sometimes you're pleasantly surprised but then most of the time you're just right <laughs> what's you up want, people yeah I was going to say introduce the show we'll get on some kind of track <laughs> I, what's up people at Peopleton welcome to Second Opinion Movie Podcast I'm your host Danny Jones and hosting with me the Imaginarium Captain Doctor Professor himself Old man shaved his head for this Scott Morrison. What? You were saying right before we started recording that this film title is a nightmare for your <laughs> dyslexia. <laughs> it is. I'm at, right. The Imaginarium of Doctor. Um, I can't. I actually can't. My head. You can't, can't even remember it, like from the film. No, because I don't actually say it that often. Yeah, I don't. I guess really, that's true. They just call him Dad. <laughs> old man Christopher Plummer oh right? Christopher Plummer um, it's the Imaginarium of Dr. Parnassus Parnassus the 2009 film from director Terry Gilliam hmm. uh, what a guy what's your what's your thoughts on Terry what's, what's your thoughts on Terry G right I'm gonna get down to it so uh, Terry Jizzle oh <laughs> so uh, I actually I feel I feel like he's he's a strange director because I do like his work and yet, I haven't watched a lot of no, his films. No, same. He is, he is definitely like one of the... He's like as auteur as they come. Yeah. His and films yet, have such a unique style. And yet you don't... It's not... Well, I mean, we did a film degree and Terry Gilliam's not someone who came up very often no. at all. No, which is odd. But even... It's funny, even when you... Because obviously he, he started his career kind of in Monty Python yeah but even he's like the odd one out in Monty Python yeah like you kind of because he was the he was American and he also mostly handled the animation hmm. so you kind of even forget that he was involved in that like he doesn't feel like part of the core group hmm. but the animation in Monty Python was so pivotal yeah to so much of that 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 um that show in those films. I mean, films. that's like, how you recognise it in yeah. a glance like, yeah, yeah that's yeah, yeah. how Monty because Python advertised because there's stuff themselves. in this I will say like some of the uh, when they're in the Imaginarium, we'll get to what is this fucking movie is about. Uh, when they're in the Imaginarium, there's so much design that looks straight out of yeah, Monty one Python. of those cartoons. Yeah, 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 one of those cartoons. Um, but yeah, and then you're right. He has this. He has this. This career where he has all these incredibly kind of. He just has such a unique look to all yeah. of his films. But 
Yeah, you're right. He's like, not talked about in the m- no. movie circles as much as you'd think. Like he's like his auteur is as recognizable as a Tim Burton or a Wes Anderson. Yeah, and yet he's quite under the radar, and I'm not sure why that is. Um, maybe it almost feels like Terry. It almost feels in a weird way like he should be Terry Gilliam should be like an auteur like starter kit. Yeah, like you could watch it and be like, I get that all these films are made by the same person. Maybe like, Terry Gilliam is um, imagery. Uh, struggles to tie itself into a subculture. Mm. Wes Anderson, you've got quite like a, a you can have a, like a hipstery, quirky subculture. Well, yeah, you just have to that. see what like people in yellow jumpsuits or something yeah. jogging in slow motion, and you get there. It's Wes Anderson. And Tim like. Burton obviously has like <clears throat> an emo sort of goth subculture mm. that he ties into really uh, succinctly. But like Terry Gilliam, I don't think has that. Yeah, he doesn't have that in the same way. He's kind of he's almost like like Monty Python growing up because like whenever I watch like if I do watch his films or clips or anything comes up there does feel like an element of Monty Python in there it's like if Monty Python uh, wasn't a comedy sketch which Mm. sounds weird but like the sort of the weird sort of style of Monty Python that you kind of associate with them with the kind of weirdness and the um, this almost yeah, the, the complete off the wall bizarreness mm. of Monty Python you still see in his films, and even in some uh, some clips of this. Oh, there's a scene in this that is straight out so, of Monty Python. Yeah, so yeah. Monty Python, and I think the same with Brazil. Brazil kind of has a few. I've scenes. never seen Brazil. I I think Brazil is my favorite Terry Gilliam film, but mm. that's my my person who's not seen many. Um, I, Brazil is like it's 1984s probably like uh, as an adapted film, um, but like satire. Um, pulled up to the max and mm-hmm. it feels there's like a uh, the scene that I think of is like um, they're in this suppressive society and these terrorists attack this restaurant um, but because <clears throat> it doesn't affect their, their their table they carry on and have a, a normal conversation so they're still talking about like all of what's happening in society and like oh so this is this is my day oh there's this girl that you'd really really like and there's all of this explosions happening around them because it hasn't got to their table they're fine about it and that feels very monty python it's like a weird sense of humor of like yeah. um the ordinary them, them being very ordinary and quite british while all of this mental stuff is happening around them so the imaginarium of dr parnassus is about a group of traveling performers yeah um Christopher Plummer is, is... How do you even fucking... Right, okay. It's a, it's a where do you start? I'm trying to think because I'm like, I don't want to get too into it because we'll just get bogged down yeah. in weird plot details. So I'm like, what's like... What's like the best way to talk about this film? They're a group of traveling performers. Mm. The oh, eldest of the group is Christopher Plummer's character, Dr. Parnassus. Um... And he has made throughout the course so throughout the course of his life, he's had interactions with the devil, who's played by Tom Waits. Brilliant. And he makes a series of bets. Oh yeah. Incidentally, fucking Tom Waits was born to play the mm. devil. Like, we should get back to that though, because we'll derail otherwise. Yeah. Um so yeah, he's made a series of bets with the devil, uh, which has involved where Christopher Plummer's uh, so Dr. Parnassus is now immortal because of winning one of these bets and so on and so forth. Um, one of the bets, um, they, I can't remember what exactly it is, but they bet on something so that uh, Dr. Parnassus could win the love of uh, this woman. Um, they fell in love and they had a child. Um, and the, I assume the wife died. I can't remember if they mentioned that specifically. But um, in a series of other bets, the, the, the devil then wins 
on the girl's 16th birthday, sh- her soul will basically be given to the devil. Like, yeah. she has to go with, with, with Tom Waits, which, you know, weird, but... <laughs> <laughs> um, so, three days before her 16th birthday, the devil comes to Dr. Parnassus and says, I will give you one more chance. Uh, whoever the first person to gather up five souls by her 16th birthday if you gather up more if you gather them up before i do then her soul remains yours and if not then she'll still come with me um that's kind of like the main part yeah but then there also enters the character of tony who's played mainly by heath ledger in his last ever on-screen role yeah i feel like a lot of people think it's the joker or i'm not there because those are both obviously the joker's more well known yeah I'm not there kind of like that was a more kind of awards yeah. kind of film but Dr. Parnassus is like his last to the to the extent where the most famous thing about this film is that he died halfway through the production yes so that yes it's the definitively his last film he was filming yeah. before he died so I think the way the way it goes is that Terry Gilliam wanted to he basically said that he wanted to make something that wasn't based on anything this is what i was talking about in the beginning yeah and how he that this is kind of the most opposite of joker that i feel like in terms of what we were talking about uh he wanted to make something that was completely original um and he said he started with a blank page and he just wanted to he just wanted to come up with something and so he comes up with this film this this imaginary dr parnassus which is totally fucking bonkers um and the and, and the whole time i'm watching it i'm like how did how did this how does this film exist and I was like, "Why is it that Terry Gilliam had that much kind of clout in the studio hmm. system that he could get it made?" But the studio system fucking hates him. Yeah, <laughs> apparently, like they have nothing but trouble with him. Um, apparently, the main reason they got funding for it was because Heath Ledger was attached. And obviously, Heath, Heath Ledger at that point is like fucking. He's he's big. Yeah. you know, women want to be him, men want to be with him. You know, <laughs> that's what I mean? the same. Yeah. <laughs> Um, so they got the funding for this film primarily based on Heath Ledger. Three quarters of the way into filming, Heath Ledger sadly passes away. Um, which obviously, when he is the, but he's basically your main character. Yeah. Christopher Plummer is your titular character. Nice, but you know, uh, Heath Ledger is the main character. So when he passes away, obviously the film has a problem. And at first, apparently Terry Gilliam was very like the film will not get finished now um they kind of and then he kind of started playing with the idea of well could we use you know some kind of like motion capture effects to try and do you know some work with the face to try and finish the, the performance but then he comes up with the idea of what if we get other actors to come in and finish the role for him which obviously in most movies that wouldn't work. No. If that happened in The Dark Knight, <laughs> if, if if at one point in The Dark Knight suddenly Johnny Depp is the Joker, it wouldn't work. But the thing about this movie is there is the Imaginarium is uh, is basically the inner mind of Dr. Parnassus. It's like a physical world that you can enter through this mirror that is on their little travelling wagon. Um... They come up with the, the the plot point, which I do wonder if this if this was brought up, at, you know, if they, if they came up with this after the fact. Hmm. They come up with this idea where whenever he enters the Imaginarium, his face changes. 
and so there's three different moment. There's three different points of the film where he enters the Imaginarium. The first time he's played by Johnny Depp. The second time he's played by Jude Law, and the third time he's played by Colin Farrell, which that one in particular we'll get back to. Um, uh, and I, I, I think it's. I assume that they had finished all of the real life I, stuff. I, the real life yeah. stuff beforehand, but and it, it is it, it almost is like it almost is if like it's it was too it worked out too well like hmm. you know what I mean that it's like he he sadly died like three quarters of the way into filming but it's like at least we've got this bit done hmm. we have all the real world stuff done and so in the Imaginarium. You can play around with that as much as you want. Yeah. Um, but the reason I was thinking about, like, I wonder if they thought of this before uh, before the fact or after the fact, uh, was in the opening scene, they establish what kind of happens when you go into the Imaginarium. They have this drunk guy who comes out of the pub and he's kind of hassling them and he pushes through them and goes through the mirror into the Imaginarium. And when he goes in there, his face and his accent change. And I was like, I wonder if that was in the original script. I or if they so. wrote that in to establish that when you go into this place it can you know it can change your your face and it can warp your kind of physical features and stuff I'd like say that. the latter makes more sense it does doesn't it mm. because if that didn't happen to anyone else because it doesn't happen to any of the main characters no um you know who who are who you've got you've got Christopher Plummer you've got Tom Waits you've got Andrew Garfield uh, uh Vern Troyer? I can't remember her name. Who's who I find I find very bizarre Vern Troyer being in this movie because I always kind of associate him with like the epic movies. Yeah. And things like that. Like just real trash. Yeah. <laughs> um and I find it so bizarre that he's he's in this. But I think he's great. Mm. He's hilarious. He is, this. he's really good. Um and then the <sighs> Scrumpy. Scrumpy is the name of the character, which fucking best name i've ever heard quite frankly <laughs> lily cole lily cole who i think is more a model hmm. than an actress although i was looking up apparently she's in the last jedi no idea where i'm right. assuming it's the casino because i saw a picture yeah. i didn't see a picture of her in the film but i saw a picture of her in her costume and i'm like that looks like it's some canto bike stuff plow, yeah like maybe she's hanging out with justin theroux obviously i want to see that movie incidentally <laughs> little tiny little sidetrack ryan johnson if you're making your your trilogy Give me just fucking Louis Theroux as that, like, gambler with the, the red pin. Just give me his adventures. I want to hang out with that guy. Louis Theroux? <laughs> Not Louis Theroux, yeah, Justin Theroux. <laughs> <laughs> Louis Theroux I'd love stars, to yeah. see Louis Theroux do a Star Wars film. <laughs> um, so, yeah, but I was assuming that they came up with that after the fact. Yeah, but, yeah, I think it's a it's a Because way... then it would be too, too perfect. Yeah. You know what I mean? Too convenient. But no, I reckon because you can film that whole opening scene because Heath Ledger isn't obviously in any of it. You can film that whole opening scene, um, refilm it so that it can be all different so that to, to lay the track of the idea that the Imaginarium changes your perception of yourself. Yeah. And it's... it. it I think it does and it does work in the context of the film. Hmm. It does and it does work because there almost doesn't... There doesn't seem to a need for it in the context of the movie like you watch it and you accept okay like I understand that Heath Ledger passed away and this was the way that they decided mm. to continue the film but like in the context of the film 
I'm not 100%. So you're talking Shh. if uh, somebody didn't know any of that, didn't know that Heath Ledger was a human yeah. being and died. It's like, why does his face change? Yeah, you you would watch a film and you go, this is so strange that they have a different person playing this. Because the, the main bit that I think it sticks out is, is the finale, hmm. which a lot of stuff is kind of revealed about the character, hmm. a lot of really bad stuff. Um, it's revealed that his character is... It's quite fucking mental. So his character runs a charity and then it's revealed that he's been harvesting the organs of orphans. Organs of orphans incidentally (laughs) is my favourite heavy metal band. (laughs) He's been harvesting the organs of orphans and then selling them on to Rich people. Rich people. Which is fucking It's comical, isn't it? Because it's at first comical, they come up, it's so villainous. At first they come up, they say like, oh, he was he was laundering money through this charity. And you're like, oh, well, that's kind of scummy. Yeah. But then at the end, it's like, oh no, he was also fucking harvesting organs and selling them on like a black market. I'm like, that's mental. Um, there's a lot of stuff that comes out about his character in those, those kind of end moments. And there's a lot of drama around that. But he's played by Colin Farrell. Yeah. And it's weird because you're like in the out in the real world, everyone sees him as Heath Ledger. Like you see the the newspaper headline hmm. about his character, and it's a picture of Heath Ledger. And it kind of feels weird that it feels like he should be the emotional crux of yeah. what he's going through there. But instead, it's the same character, but it's it's Colin Farrell. And because of that, it feels like a different character yeah yeah it, it almost feels like you start blaming colin farrell for orphan organs yeah. rather than heath ledger's character we because we kind of talked about it weirdly enough we started this episode by talking about doctor who but um we we kind of spoke about it at one point it was when it was when jude law was playing him and jude law is the second actor who plays him and i said this this scene feels like in the first episode of a new series of doctor who when there's a new doctor and they're still in the costume of the old Doctor. I was like, that's what this feels like. It feels like Heath Ledger has regenerated and now it's Jude Law and Jude Law is a different character. Like, I, I don't think it's... I don't think it's as, like, as... It doesn't flow as well yeah, as you It doesn't flow as well to. as you kind of want it to. You don't quite believe it's the, it's the same character necessarily, <laughs> except for that exaggerated cockney accent that they all do. they all do but they all say mate all the time <laughs> mate mate you gotta oh stand, stand right. me mate, mate. it's like they're all kind of like they're all they all don't like each other but they're you know you're doing that look kinda, mate you have taken the piss listen, mate, mate you fucking <laughs> it is quite hard to listen to uh, it's quite it's quite hard but saying that do you did you like that um that element the, specific... the film the, did I like the yeah. film no no, not I, I feel like I really did. <laughs> I didn't dislike the film, but I think that I don't I think I didn't get on board with the film. I think my problem with the film Because there's too much going on. I think it's too much going on. I also think that um when writing it from like the original script stage, they kind of needed Heath Ledger's character to be a bit more straight, a bit more normal. Mm. Uh there's a lot happening and I I think that the main thing you really want to be... You either want to focus on Heath Ledger as a character who's trying to figure out what's happening here, what what this Imaginatorium is all about, and what the hell is going on. Or you want to focus on Christopher Plummer trying to get those five souls. Both those plot lines get lost in all the others. Mm. And eventually I was watching the film and I felt like I was just watching stuff happen rather than had anything invested. I do feel like you get 
to a point where you forget what the point is yeah <laughs> and you're just watching like and it is it's really cool to watch terry gilliam in the imaginatory just go wild and yeah that's um, the best stuff I yeah think. but the, like i think the, my favorite kind of sequence of the film is the ladder yeah where it's jude law and he's up on the ladder and the ladder splits down the middle and he has to use it as stilts and he's running away from the russian mafia and it's all just really it's, kind of aye. bonkers and it's but it almost is reminiscent of the monty python cartoons where they're fun to watch but then they're, they're not they're not nothing's happening yeah it's just you're watching these cool artistic cartoons but as a film i was just like lost in like reasons to be invested i wasn't invested in what any of the characters or what was happening and the the stuff that i know i should be invested in like the deals with the devil and he fledger trying to get past his amnesia I just, I wasn't invested enough. So I just kind of felt like I was floating through this film and I was just watching it. It was happening in front of me and I didn't yeah. mind too much. Because the Heath, the Heath Ledger or his character, Tony, it's like, you find out he's he's not just a piece of shit. Like, he's diabolical. Yeah. Like, he's a horrible he's human evil. being. But you never get a sense that that is what he's like. Yeah. Like, you're you're sort of told... Um, that he's been harvesting the organs of orphans. And you're like, even when you get to the end of the film, you're still like, this guy? Like, yeah. Like, I got the money laundering. Because, you know, you want to make some fucking... You make some of that green. <laughs> but, like... That's more understandable. You can... You yeah. Can, you can imagine somebody slipping into the position where they start laundering mm. money through the charity and maybe justifying it to themselves that they need like, more money and stuff. like that. There's, there's ways you could justify yeah. that. Harvesting orphans' organs is a really hard thing to self-justify to yourself. <laughs> because at the end, um, the the devil ends up making a deal with Doctor Parnassus, where he says, "If you help me finally give this guy his comeuppance, then I'll let you. I'll let your daughter. You know, I'll let I'll let her live." Um, but in that scene, he's like, he's like, "Oh, that this that you know, we need to put an end to this guy because he he lives this charmed life and he gets away with everything." And I'm like, I would, I would buy that kind of delivery more if he was just like a con man, hmm. or like what you said, like you know the laundry money stuff. But when you're kind of talking about this man who has done a really, really evil thing, it's like it feels like there should be more weight to it. Yeah. But this, I don't know. I there's something about it. I don't know what it is. There's like something about that movie that I enjoy, and I feel like I can't put my finger on it. I feel like I almost have like not i almost feel like i don't have much to say in praise of the film hmm. but i enjoyed watching it i enjoyed like the weird I did enjoy, world that i enjoyed the world i did enjoy it yeah as much as maybe it's hard to invest in some of the characters like i love every performance hmm. i think heath ledger's fantastic christopher Plummer's great tom waits as the devil is oh, it's beautiful mwah. like at first he's 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 hamming it up the first time you see him he's doing this kind of weird dance and he's singing a song and i was like oh that's a bit much but when he just kind of goes into like charmingly evil it's just a man who's taking pleasure in being evil because he's the fucking devil and he's you know he's manipulating people he's like yeah you know your fucking your daughter's soul's gonna get taken to hell with me but like i like you could have another bet you could have one more shot what's you know what's one more bet you know what i mean like and you know he's sitting fucking in the background like you know they're they're doing their performance and he's just sat in the background drinking red wine like at this table in the background just just watching them like looking so nonchalant and like i loved that i thought he was great i love the aspect of him that he almost feels like he is actual friends with um 
the with Christopher Plummer. Like he almost feels like he whenever Christopher Plummer loses a bet, he's like, "Oh, but he he doesn't actually want to. <laughs> he doesn't want Christopher Plummer to lose. He like he seems yeah. to like Christopher Plummer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then he's like, "Oh, but you know, well, why don't we just have another bet? You know, then it'll be fun. And you 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 don't don't worry about it. <laughs> he totally does because that that I think that's maybe my favorite line delivery in the film is at the end when he gets the fifth soul before yeah. Christopher Plummer, and he turns to the camera and he's like, "Damn it." I won. <laughs> it's like he doesn't like he he doesn't want to win. He loves this fucking horrible, tormenting relationship that he's got with Doctor yeah. Parnassus, and I kind of I like that a lot. Like I like that element of Incidentally, it. Incidentally, the link with Tom Waits being that like Heath Ledger based the Joker on that Tom Waits um, video. Really? Where's Tom the, Waits video? Um, he's being interviewed by a famous person. Uh huh can't remember who uh, heard of him uh, <laughs> uh, and he's like very clearly drugged out and stuff uh, Tom Waits Tom Waits uh, and that's like supposed to be one of the inspirations for Heath Ledger's Joker so, oh. and then Heath Ledger went and worked with Tom Waits but are they in any scenes together? Um, I want to say yeah but I actually don't think they are I feel like they must have been on set at the same yeah. time at some point they probably met at some point but I don't think there's any like specific scenes yeah. that they talk to each other or anything yeah but you must have, the times you must he must have met him at some point yeah because I think the times he does it's it's as the other versions of the character it's like hmm joined Epper um what did you think about like their three performances because they're so fleeting especially Johnny Depp's one so I was apparently Johnny Depp they had him for one day and three hours bloody hell that's how long they could get him for because he was filming public enemy michael mann's public enemies okay. you remember that film Vaguely. from like 2009 where he plays john dillinger and it's good i think is it i, remember, <laughs> I can't remember i remember it happening i do remember watching it but i don't remember much about it i remember they rewrite a couple of kind of historical events in that film and i remember they they move around the deaths of some people to make it more impactful for the movie but i remember it's all shot it's shot in that Michael Mann style, which is is quite bizarre for like a kind of nineteen thirties gangster film. It's shot in that kind of handheld, shaky kind of style, and okay. it feels very like you're in the room with them. But it, that feels strange because it's what you would consider like golden Hollywood, classic yeah, Hollywood, yeah, 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 like yeah. It's a it's a it's film. a weird way to like because you would you would think that the the approach most people would take for a film like that would be to kind of film it in a more classical Hollywood style, but. He's just like, nah, fuck it. I make, I make movies the way I want to make movies. I'm, I'm Michael Mann, baby. Yeah, he is. Yeah, see Heat. <laughs> Shit was good. You see Black Hat. I know you two didn't like it, but other people did. <laughs> um. So yeah, apparently they had him for a day and three hours. Every take had to be um, just done in a one-er. So everything you're seeing Johnny Depp do is straight up. That's just Johnny Depp just doing his thing. Um. He apparently also said that Heath Ledger, Terry Gilliam apparently called Heath Ledger out at one point for doing Johnny Depp. Like oh, really? he was, he was like doing this kind of kind of weirder performance, and he's like, "I see what you're doing. Like you're trying to you're channeling like Johnny Depp with his Pirates of the Caribbean like kind of attitude." And so he says it actually in a weird way, like worked out because then he goes into being Johnny Depp, and it, it kind of. Moves Terry Gilliam worked with Johnny Depp. I forgot about that. Yeah, because he did Fear and Loathing. Fear and which, Loathing. I remember the first time I saw that film, I hated it. Yeah. 
because I was a young boy. It's quite disgusting, isn't it's a it? Horrible film. Yeah. But then the second time you watch it, you watch it when you're older. Yeah, you, know? you realize. Yeah. But it was the same with it. So we, I I remember seeing this way back when it first came out, and I was thinking we were going to watch it because I said to you, I was like, I remember, um, like I remember watching this film in the cinema, and I remember loving it. Hmm. Uh, I've not really seen it again since. And I said to you, I was like, I do wonder if I loved it because, you know, I was like 16 and I was getting into movies and, you know, I went to see this movie that, you know, it was only on one night. Like, it was literally on like one show in a mm. night and, you know, we had to go to it and it was like, oh, like no one's heard of this movie and it's weird and it's like, and I, I do, I do definitely think there's an element of it. I definitely don't think I watched it tonight with that same kind of starry-eyed, Aye. like, oh, this is this is crazy. Because you've seen Irreversible now. I've seen Irreversible now. And I'm you've gonna see climax. So like, you know, what more is there? <laughs> uh, I get that, but then I think Terry Gilliam has that to begin with. He's kind of like he's not the first. If you start to become a film person, a cinephile for lack of a better term, you do eventually go through the road through Terry Gillen. Once you've done your Stanley Kubrick and once you've done your uh, your Tim Burton and your uh, all of these other directions, you eventually do go through Terry Gilliam land and yeah. you see Fear and Loathing and what's another like big film of his? 12 Monkeys. 12 Monkeys, that's yeah. I've not actually seen Which is another Monkeys, one yeah. that I've seen can't remember anything about. Like I remember Brad Pitt being incredible in it mm. but I don't remember like a lot of specifics um that was back when bruce willis was good when he actually gave a fuck yeah and didn't just want to get drunk and show up for like was it apparently he only shows up for one day of filming now or something like that bloody hell it's like what happened to that man what happened to that man's fucking passion for films like yeah he just got burnt out yeah he was so passionate he forced himself on like into like being in the sixth sense yeah, because um, they wanted to keep it a low budget, low budget film, and they knew that putting a star in it would make it like a massive, high profile film. Yeah, and they didn't quite want that sort of budget. But he was just like, "Nah, I've gotten, I'm contractually obliged to do a film with you. We're That's the one I'm one I'll do." Do you that, that sort of passion? You can't imagine him doing that now. Now he is literally just in straight to DVD garbage like genuine garbage let's look up Bruce Willis's most recent filmography <laughs> to answer your question though um, I thought that the perform they are jarring those three like Jude Lord Johnny Depp and Colin Farrell and as we said like Colin Farrell does like almost rob Heath Ledger of like the emotional climax oh, he, he genuinely it genuinely um, does yeah which like you said it's 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 not it's not that's not a choice and uh, uh, you know a natural choice that they had to make that was yeah ob- yeah obviously the way they like, got the film finished yeah but it is like i think it works as well as it could have worked um i don't know i was wondering while watching it i was like do they need three different actors would it make more sense if there was like a dream version of heath ledger and then the normal version mm. and then the dream version stayed consistent um but then there is a, a nice sense of camaraderie that like all of these people have come together to try and like piece together Heath Ledger's last yeah. film and like their legacy and I, I like the idea of that and I think it's it is eventually what I kind of think of this film I think it's why it's hard to dislike even though the the problems I have with this film I think are from the script stage and it's yeah. got really nothing to do with Heath Ledger you, you, uh, you do get a production. sense when he says that they started with a blank page and they just started writing it's like you get a little bit yeah, of sense, of that. A sense of that like it's 
it's it almost feels like far too many ideas at once and maybe you could have made four different films out of this how do you come up with it um but like like i was trying to explain that plot you know they always say there's we've skipped so much stuff oh yeah fucked up like we've not even really talked about like andrew garfield's character no any like any of that kind of stuff it's very find heath ledger's character hanging from a bridge that's just an aspect of the film that is just is a thing and I, i didn't realize only not till the end that i realized that the pipe that comes out of his throat is supposed to help him breathe yeah. even though he's being hung i didn't realize that because i don't i don't even know if that's possible that doesn't sound possible <laughs> I doubt it. I, like how does that pipe even work um yeah there's so many aspects so the problems i have with this film i do feel like are from a, a, a screenplay point of view that i just think it needs more focus or just like an aspect for us to a through line for us to be entirely invested in the whole time um but it, as again as i say you it's hard to dislike this film because Terry Gilliam almost just like he we watch an introduction with him at the beginning yeah. is explaining like this film he almost takes the emphasis of being a Terry Gilliam film uh, like he takes that off he's like he takes it away yeah. yeah he takes it away is what I meant to say sorry like it's he want it's it's a, like a, a product of like the Heath Ledger legacy more than it is a Terry, Terry Gilliam experience like it's it does feel like that that's kind of what you have to what you have to understand when you're talking about the different actors and how that um how they relate to Heath Ledger's performance is like you just you stop thinking about it as a film and as more like a um yeah a cultural product of just Heath Ledger because it's better that it's better that they pull together and got it done than if this film had kind of never seen the light of day yeah because he passed away because that yeah. would be a, that would be a shame because hmm. this is his last performance there's a moment in the film where uh he says something and then he disappears behind the mirror and i was like wow that is that's it that's like heath ledger's last on-screen moment Hmm. and there is that there's a kind of like sadness to that that in the context of the film you know it's just just another moment but like in the context of the film itself it's like it's it's sad it's like a it's a sad moment to watch because you're like there you go like that because you watch him in the fucking dark night and it's it's not him like it's, it's not, not even him this is why i always say it's fucking i genuinely think that's like his his joker is just like the best performance of anyone ever because you know that you've got the the great marlon brando and and, and daniel day lewis but that as incredible as those performances are like they're they're playing people and you can look at them and say like that is an incredible performance by daniel day lewis as daniel plainfield yeah but you look at the joker and there's nothing of Heath Ledger in that. It is, it's like you're watching this movie and it's like there was just this this actor who just existed to just be in the Joker movie because there's no semblance that Heath Ledger is behind that. And it's like how you manage to fucking transform yourself and portray that character mm. in that way where there's no even hint that there is like Heath, that there is a Heath Ledger yeah. behind that is... Well, it was fucking insane. It was distracting right? me while watching this film because I was watching this film and every like when he fledges on the screen, I was thinking I was like trying to find the Joker in his performance. Yeah. And obviously, weirdly, I kind of actually saw it more in Tom Waits than I saw yeah. it in Heath Ledger. Um, like you, yeah, you watch Heath Ledger and you're just trying to like any sort of tick, anything yeah. that would go, oh, that's how the joke. That's like the bit of the Joker. Yeah. Um, and to be honest, yeah, I, I agree with like the Terry Gilliam assignment. He does Heath Ledger feels like he's more plain Johnny Depp yeah. than he is anywhere near the Joker. 
but that's what I mean. It's like you, like you said, you you can't see any Joker in his performance in this, and you can't see any Heath Ledger when he's the Joker. It's like he literally just changed himself to do that role, and it's fucking incredible. Hmm. And so there is, it's like there is a sadness when you watch that final moment that he's in this film, and you're like, there, he could have been like the next fucking big yeah. thing. Yeah. Because just imagine how. Like even just you know just the the, <clears throat> the the Batman films in general like how differently that would have gone had he not died yeah like he would have become the biggest fucking thing on the planet because that film was the biggest thing on the planet for like a year and then you know I'm sure the third film would have been like drastically different compared yeah. to what we well got. he would have been in it he would have definitely yeah exactly been in like what we got feels like a kind of it doesn't really feel like Chris Nolan wanted to come back but yeah. then they kind of coaxed him into it and he's like well we'll just move away from the joker because we can't get heath ledger back and there's no sense i remember there was kind of talk like rumors early on before the darkner rises where they were gonna recast him and things like that and it's like you can't do that now. no you could you would not be able to do that and then you look at it now like every and granted obviously people love to compare the jokers i think it's kind of pointless because everyone brings their own yeah you know their own cards well Heath Ledger's Joker isn't really even the comic book yeah, Joker is he he's so it's, different it's like the, you, no one's going to be able to come out of the shadow of that yeah. ever like that that is the fucking and it's the uh, you know everyone started to think but when you read things and people are like I think like Jack Nicholson was the best Joker it's like you're wrong <laughs> you're just wrong to sit there and really look at those two performances and genuinely think that Jack Nicholson's performance is better than Heath Ledger's. Granted, they're playing two very different versions, but they genuinely think that that's a better performance. Mm. No. You're wrong. You're being fucking facetious and condescending for the sake of it. Do you think that's, Heath Ledger is the best Joker. Do you think that's what War Phoenix wants to do? Do you think that's why he's attracted to this role? Because, like, it is... It's probably one of the biggest But even that, he's not challenges. really going to be... The, he's Arthur... Arthur something whatever he's going by in this film it's like so I mean it's like it doesn't feel like the Joker mm. right? but like even like in Venice Heath Ledger's Joker is as I say not quite comic book based but maybe that's like the the maybe he, that's what Walking Phoenix is running into he's like he's going this is gonna be the biggest acting challenge of all time this would yeah. this would prove I'm like a huge actor if I went if I had the balls to turn up to a set and go I reckon I can do the Joker even though I know Heath Ledger existed yeah would be a ballsy move. I mean, he's done ballsier moves. Remember when he <laughs> gave up his career for like two years to pretend to be a rapper for a shit documentary? Yeah. That was weird. Yeah. Uh, fucking a, a terrible idea. The movie's garbage. He <laughs> fucked his career for like two years. Um, because like nobody took Jared Lee. There's like serious years. like fucking like kind of sexual assault charges like pressed against members of that movie and things like that like that's where the casey affleck stuff came from oh it's like you yeah. all made bad decisions to make this shit movie that no one saw <laughs> i forgot casey affleck was a human yeah <laughs> um uh like no one no one kind of had anything in that invested in jared leto's joker no one no one ever went uh oh he's gonna he's no one ever thought for a second he's gonna be better than heath ledger they were like i think i feel <clears> like when he was announced everyone was like laughed Huh? They all did you, laughed. Did you figure it would be a bad Joker at first? I thought. Like, I I thought the, when they released no, 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 no. that, I don't mean the look. I mean his announcement of a casting. Like yeah. I I thought like eh, all right. Like I don't really remember what I thought. I all I do I, I yeah I don't remember what I thought. I remember I just it. I remember that image coming out, 
the and being like, was terrible. that's the most ridiculous thing I've ever seen. But like, I don't think anyone was ever like thinking that Jared Leto was ever going to beat Heath Ledger as the yeah. actor as a Joker. I feel like he was, it was going to be like, hey, he's going to be a different kind of Joker and it'll be fine. We'll just move away slightly from Heath Ledger. <laughs> he moved so far yeah. away that <laughs> he was yeah. ridiculous. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, so like, how does this compare in similar films that have had similar troubled production i think the first one that would come to my mind is fast and furious yes so like obviously the was it the seventh one was it? <laughs> it's one of them <laughs> <laughs> paul paul walker sure let's say the seventh one. <laughs> <laughs> why not um he died a halfway through production so there's you've got a similar vibe here mm. you've got a film that's been had to put on hold um and like uh like to continue the film they have to try and piece together what they can do what what how would you compare this one to that one like what would you feel like what did right what did wrong what was the differences i would say like this this feels more seamless uh, you know not in terms of comparing those two this doesn't feel as jarring because there is a more spectacular element to it where they every time they go into the imaginarium they can be like well we can do whatever we want in here let's say his face changes like why not hmm. i suppose they and have I think that there's yeah. more of a workaround fast and furious like like props to them for what they did and I, I'm not trying to be like a I'm not trying to be a dick when I when I say this, but like I remember everyone's like, oh, the end of that movie is really sad. But every fucking time I see Paul Walker, <laughs> CGI Paul Paul Walker pull up in that car and smile at Vin Diesel, like I, I just think it's like funny because he just doesn't look like a human at yeah. all. <laughs> like, he looks, he looks like someone. He looks like some kind of alien is like morphed into a human. Is like this is what human we smile now. Like I just I don't think it's as and i i get why you look past it because it's a sad moment and you're paying tribute to this actor but it it never really worked for me and i feel like it's a lot more jarring when you know his brother's playing him when he's taking his daughter to the the car Mm. and it it, and they they can't film his face so they're filming his feet but you can hear this like you know post audio recordings of him being like i've just put my daughter in the car that's like his brother and it just it feels a lot more jarring yeah than this where like i said they were lucky enough to when he passed away they had already got the bulk Mm. of the film out of the way and so i don't i think this works better than fast and furious but that is like a kind of personal thing like i do get that it's sad what happened to paul walker 100 percent is and it is a good movie you know it's fucking fast if you there's, there's also but like yeah there's also an element of they both kind of go for that sort of culturalness of it like they try and make it a slightly more they they make it like almost uh in a sort of almost a meta text sort of way almost in a meta sort of way they make it part of the film where at the end from a narrative point of view it doesn't quite make sense that there's this big emotional cut the ties of paul mm. walker they try and put it in as like paul walker's got a, his character's got a family now mm. um so he can't carry on living the life that they do and you like you get that and you're like yeah that makes sense um but like it's it's very emotional ending as in Ved diesel does feel like he's never gonna see paul walker ever oh, again yeah, there's no subtlety to that uh, even all, yeah. even though 
He's that literally married song that played for like months on end. <laughs> He's uh he married like his the character married Vin Diesel's sister. Mm. Uh, so it's like yeah, you're gonna see him. <laughs> you're gonna see him all tomorrow. The time. Probably. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but you do get this emotional ending that you only, only make sense because you know outside of the film that what happened. And I've it's kind of weird that they both obviously they both had to go to that sort of cultural standard of like for the you instead of like it being an entirely standalone thing you do kind of have to understand even to a certain degree with the um the imagined um dorian like you have to understand that there was like a death halfway through the production and this is what's left yeah and i think but i think this film even just has like a kind of just a kind of classier like subtler approach to like how they kind of pay tribute to the actor where it's just you know in this film it just it ends and then it says a film made by heath ledger and friends hmm. and that's like that's there's something nice. nice about that and simple about that in the intro that we watched terry gilliam talks about how you know contractually i think the first credit has to be the director and he was just like fuck that he's like he's like i don't want to do that like i want like i don't he was like i don't like what we talked about earlier like he kind of gives up his hold over the film and it becomes a film made by a lot of people and he wanted to show that um and so he was just like he's like yeah like nuts to contracts like it doesn't matter this is how i think we should pay Mm. tribute to him and you compare that to the end of fast and furious which you know is an over-the-top series of films the end on this like 15 minute long <laughs> montage of the times we've had together and like you said it, it, it in in the real world context it's sad because you're watching it and you're like oh man paul walker's dead but then in the context of the film like you said it's like yeah but you're you're gonna see him <laughs> you're gonna see him like tomorrow <laughs> like, um i can always say those films are not known for their subtlety. no the subtlety is so. not a thing in the fast and furious i just think I yeah i just think it's like over the yeah it's over the top but which is fair i can't think of any other examples you'd think there'd be a lot more well there's some that I haven't said i know there's the the crow yeah where is it Bre- brandon lee brandon lee was shot oh, I'm just, that's mental that's, that's a mental that thing to have happened um uh, i can't think of many yeah I, I, I can't think of any off the top of my head but i'm sure there are lots oh well there was um hunger games the last few Hunger of Games, of course, Hoffman yeah, um, and so they have that weird. I remember my my manager had had no idea. I was talk, we were talking recently about the Hunger Games, and I said something. And I was like, "Oh yeah, like they mentioned the kind of, you know." I was like, "Oh, you then you've got the weird CGI Ho- uh, Philip Seymour Hoffman at the end," and he wasn't quite sure who that was. And I explained it, and I was like, "That's why at the end of that film, there's a really, really emotional or kind of sentiment delivered to Katniss." through a letter yeah because by that point philip seymour hoffman's dead so they can't have the character deliver it to her in person so they just have him write a letter and she reads the letter and like that's how that character ends and it's, it's it's very like i find that very kind of depressing because that is his like final moments yeah. on film and it's kind of just put down to like he wrote this letter yeah you know i'm surprised mean? that the person at work um didn't notice how awkward that was maybe mm. it's just like because the the last hunger game films aren't good anyway no they are um, certainly not so maybe you just you're just <laughs> swept up in all the not good that's happening <laughs> and then you're watching like this scene where a letter gets delivered and it is like when obviously us knowing that philip seymour hoffman died you're like this is a this is like it's a night it's what they've tried to do we understand this is this is how it, how it had to be it's a shame though because it, it feels a little awkward feels like again it's the same with the heath ledger it's like you've robbed him 
of the emotional climax mm-hmm. not in a that sounds malicious saying robbed but like they've been robbed of the emotional climax of that yeah. film they they don't get to have the final Silipsy more often have the final farewell to Katniss mm-hmm. um, but yeah that's a that's another example I completely forgot about yeah it's become quite a depressing podcast isn't it <laughs> <laughs> Let's talk about more people who have died. <laughs> Rattle some off. Let's fucking. Um, there we go. The one, one weirdly sort of good example of like how they they tried to evolve with it is uh, it's not someone that I've seen, but I was reading about it recently, and I was really fascinated by it to the point where I'd want to go and watch the show. Uh, Eight Simple Rules. Did you ever watch? Eight yeah, Simple John Rules? with John. Yeah, death. I've never yeah. actually watched it, but he died, and then they decided to make that like the the new like that is the, the new, new premise of the show the, is that the, this family kind of trying to deal with the sudden death of their father yeah. that's like a really interesting one what i like it's almost like it's a way to honor him and like um have like the the show evolve to to deal with it yeah that's a really um one just like final example of like yeah that was where they 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 used it to to their advantage not the advantage that sounds really no, bad no I get what you're trying to they, say they evolved yeah. it to, to fit what had happened yeah and I think that's like that is like that's like a that's like a hard topic for like a sitcom to tackle yeah. for a whole season you know what I mean but it was also it must have been such a uh, like a a raw place like that must have that's why I kind of want to watch it because like um, the way I was reading about it, it was like these the the kid actors that were on it or the teenage actors um, really had kind of thought of him as kind of like yeah. a father figure and then they kind of were dealing with a death of like yeah. a father in a way so it's kind of weird that they must have really like felt like it was real emotions and it must have watching it felt like really sort of impactful mm-hmm. so that'd be really interesting but then, then it almost is therapeutic because they are actually in the show dealing with the working through it <laughs> yeah that they're actually having real life yeah I, I don't remember much about it. I kind of remember bits and pieces of like the the last season of that show, but I do remember it being quite bold that they decided to keep it going. Mm. And I think it's good. Like I think it was good, a good way to kind of keep the memory of John Ritter alive. What good boy? Good boy. Um, what else? What else do you want to say about the Imaginarium of Doctor Parnassus? We never talked about the the most Monty Python scene. It's, this is the because they everybody in the Mediterranean has to make choices, and these Russian mob guys. Is this what you're talking about? I yeah. presume so. Yeah, yeah. They have to make a choice between going home to their mum, I think, or yeah. some variation on that, or joining the police. And the police are really like giving it yowdy with Fun, this but, like, music I think they're all number. In, like, fishnet stalkers yeah, or something aren't and they and like, they're doing this crazy musical number and you're like that's the most Monty Python thing I've ever literally, seen literally yeah it just looks like it's straight lifted straight out of Monty Python sketch it's like he had that line around that they never filmed <laughs> and he was like oh we'll, chuck, we'll put this in this works for this weird world like- did you like the stuff like inside the Imaginarium um, I was like the kind of design of everything. And... I there was a, there was an internal conflict. I was thinking while watching this film, uh, especially after thinking like Brazil and stuff and fear and is like, it how CG it. heavy it is? I was trying to decide whether CG was good for Terry Gilliam or not because it is all CG. It's like a once lot you're of in CG. once you're in the Imaginarium. Aside from, I think the scene towards the end where they're in a museum or no, they're not in a museum. They're at like a theater. Yeah. Uh, th- that's a real location but everything else is cg and sometimes it which looks- makes sense because there's giant tiaras yeah. floating down a river and sometimes stuff. it looks fantastic and then other times it doesn't look good i think the most noteworthy one of like Ugh, uh was 
the river the river of cows into, <laughs> the river that turns into a snake that has tom waits face yes. on it yes 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 uh tom waits uh being the devil the river turns into a snake and it's leering over johnny depp's version of heath ledger mm. and it is like that does look really bad it does look quite looks bad, really it? bad and but and i was like I, I, to begin with I was ready to make this declaration of Terry Gilliam he should just leave CGI alone uh, like Brazil and Fear and Loathing they do so much practical stuff that looks fucking fantastic yeah. in both those films um, the the way it's filmed is so unique it's it's mental you you look at some of the shots in like Terry Gilliam film and you go how has nobody else done that like yeah. what, that's such a cool and unique thing how come no one else has done it uh, and then I was ready to make this declaration of CGI no he should just leave it alone and carry on with his practical stuff because it's so much more interesting but then some of it he uses some of the CGI really well and there's stuff that you're like no one else would do that with CGI yeah. like, no one else would do that and it looks amazing and I love that like I said I love that a lot of the kind of more artistic elements of it do look like his style yeah. of animation I was the one the hot air balloon I was about I yeah. literally a beat away from saying the hot air balloon looks like it's from Monty Python again like yeah. one of the cartoons which is great I love that kind of, I mean I know it's all CG but I think it it almost again it almost kind of works in the context of the film yeah um, although there's the um, he's went for this very specific look which is just computer animated I don't know I kind of like I kind of get into it mm. I don't know why which normally I wouldn't like normally I see stuff like that and I hate it but there's something about this film that I was kind of into that like <laughs> vibe <laughs> the the flashback of um, Christopher Plummer's character being like a monk they go through this like they yes. do a flashback <laughs> and it's this really long elaborate shot of this giant statue and then it comes down and then they have to like inside the statue and it does for something that isn't actually set inside the imaginatorium it does look very cgi and just fake and you come in and all these monks are sitting on flying carpets it is very which is silly. a very lovely... that was the part where i was like oh this definitely isn't as good as i remembered because <laughs> like it was it's a very terry gilliam image but also it's very cgi yeah yeah it just a a real bonkers film it was made by a bit of a weird dude who just wanted to fucking just make just something that had just not been made before and i'll give him props for that <laughs> but I, I don't know i have a weird it's like i said i feel like I, I i we i mean we have kind of sat here and talked about why it doesn't work but there's just this like something about it and i think it, i agree with what you were saying i think it is that element of you i you just appreciate the fact that these people like banded together to make sure that this film got made and it mm. got that his final performance was preserved there's something I think to be cherished about that and it kind of sucks that like the film's kind of overshadowed by you know like other performances that he had around that time which I get which makes sense but I just I kind of just wish this was talked about more yeah because it's so unique like well I don't think in fairness and it's probably it might sound a bit cruel but I don't think Heath Ledger ever gets a scene where he's able to really flex his acting yeah that's true uh like a lot of his acting like it's not because like it's not bad at all it's still good he's playing very charming yeah he's playing he's playing it quite straight because that's uh, those scenes that he's he was recording they were quite straight scenes you don't get to see him inside the imaginatorium and you're like there is an element of like that's where he could have like played Mm. up like how incredible an actor he was so this performance even though it's like preserved and it's really cool historically there isn't like a lot 
for he doesn't get a lot to do with like the lines he gets in yeah this he film. just says mate a lot yeah mate come on mate mate before we uh round this off just because you know we almost never got back to it i have bruce willis's filmography oh. <laughs> um there is a lot of direct to vod like a lot a lot so i'm just gonna roll off like a couple of the things he's been in recently so obviously he was in glass yeah which you know that was like quite a big film yeah wasn't good but no. we were excited for it so before that you've got re- something called reprisal and something called airstrike which are both direct to dvd uh you have the remake of death wish then you have three direct to vod's back to back once upon a time in venice first kill and acts of violence um and then you've got three before that as well Ex- extraction precious cargo and marauders uh, in between marauders and once upon a time in venice he has his little split cameo oh yeah, um, yeah, yeah. and yeah then it's just it's just all straight to db until you hit sin city a day, really? Sin City 2 A Dame to Kill For oh, in 2014 okay. that's like the last kind of non that's the that's kind of the only non straight to DV thing he does for one two three years until the remake of Death Wish comes out in 2018 what happened to that man do you know what I reckon he does I reckon he goes into a green screen studio right he just gathers a bunch of directors he doesn't care who they are and he goes right guys get your cameras on I'm going to do a couple of things just edit into your movie I'm going to jump off this <laughs> that. right jump did you get it don't, I that's don't it I don't <laughs> you, you got a chance I'm going to get into that car and I'm going to do this a little little turn to the dramatic turn to the left I don't care if he turns to the right in your film you've got me turning to the left right okay <laughs> right so you better be I'm going to give this whole stock library and he just does that for a day and that's him done for 10 that's years that is crazy. Like a three year of just doing nothing but direct video stuff. And it's not like he needs to do that. He's not Nick Cage. <laughs> He's you know not what I mean? So quick. Like he has dead. a choice. Um uh, but anyway, that that was the Imaginary Dr. Parnassus. It, it wasn't was. the film we wanted to do. No. But I'm glad we did it. I'm glad I got to revisit that movie. It was good fun. Do you think it helped you on the road to climax? I think it has helped me on the road to climax. I think we you know, we dipped our toe in the in the stranger, but it's still very PG. Yeah. It's still very, very tame. There was nothing too kind of... I always thought this was a kid's film. Or like a, at least mm. a family film. There was a couple of moments in it. Uh, there's a moment, that very opening scene where the guy is chasing after... It's very rapey. After, it's very fucking rapey. And I was like, I'm uncomfortable. Yeah. Right out the back. But I just, like, uh, I think I've always thought right this is quite a, a family film. But I, and as soon Definitely as I was watching not. it, yeah. I was like, it's wrong. I can't remember what... I think it's maybe a 15. I'd see it's bizarre. I didn't think of it as that. Yeah, I I always assumed abstractly it was a family film. I do feel like it's helped me on the road to climax, though. I feel like we're we, you know because you know that opening scene alone, I'm like, okay, a bit rapey, yeah, bit rapey. I'm like, this is this is if it went for the imagination for what could potentially happen in climax. So uh, who knows? We'll find out. We'll find out. Um, what's the chat, Danny? Uh, if you want to get in contact with us, you can contact us at Twitter or Facebook at Second Opinion. That's Second with a Two. <laughs> Don't at me. Um, <laughs> Yeah, uh, yeah, we don't know what we're doing next week. No, nope. we'll figure it out. We'll figure something out, and then we'll do something entirely different. Whoa, because that's how we roll. See you next time, everyone. Bye. Bye.